Good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, and then you could also put your finger in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 9. If you have a Bible app, I'm not sure how you do that, but uh, those are the two main passages we'll be looking at, Luke 10 and Jeremiah 9. Recently, I was looking over the results uh, of our church's partnership with Operation Christmas Child, and I imagine many or most of you know what that is, but just in case you don't, Operation Christmas Child, or OCC, is a ministry that seeks to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, with children all around the world. And doing that by um, giving kids shoeboxes filled with simple Christmas gifts as a demonstration or an illustration of God's love for them, God's greatest gift, uh, the gift of himself in the person of his son Jesus and the eternal life that he brings. And so each year for the past several years, we've hosted a community packing party where we invite folks to come, help us pack the shoeboxes, and raise funds to ship those shoeboxes around the world. So this last year, in spite of coronavirus changing how we did our packing party, and uh, we were still able, through both our community packing party and another one, to pack over 5,000 gift-filled shoeboxes and to raise over $45,000 to uh, fund the shipping uh, of those boxes so the kids can hear the good news about Jesus. And as I, as I looked at those numbers and I thought about them, especially if you go back in previous years and add all those numbers together, I was thinking how almost certainly there are going to be people in heaven who are there because... They received a shoebox packed at the Philida Bible Church gym, and that touched them with God's love, and that enabled them to listen and hear of God's great love for them in His Son Jesus and receive eternal life. And as I thought about that, I got pretty excited. I rejoiced. I was feeling great joy in this ministry that God had allowed us to be a part of. I mean, that makes sense, right? You, you, you do ministry, you do it in Jesus' name, you see good results, you get excited about it. Well, what if I told you that doing that could actually be dangerous? That Scripture actually warns us about that. That's what we see here in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus, he takes 72 of his followers and he he gives them this really remarkable ministry, this this task. He uh, tells them to go to all of the towns that he is going to come to and he empowers them to heal the sick, to cast out demons and to proclaim 
that the long-awaited kingdom of God has drawn near in the person of Messiah, Jesus himself. And so they go out and they do this very thing. And when they come back, man, they are pumped. They are just so excited. Look at Luke 10, 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I mean, they're, they're excited. What are they excited about? Powerful ministry. I mean, God's enemies being defeated. Sick people getting well. Good triumphing over evil. People being set free from misery. Imagine if you'd been there. Imagine if you'd been a part of that, that group. Kind of an, an elite squad of spiritual Navy SEALs. And you, you've been given this incredible assignment, and you've been empowered by Jesus to pull it off. So you're telling people that He is the Messiah. He's come to set His people free. And, and then you were able to back up that message by doing things that were obviously works of God, supernatural, uh, proving that God was at work in you and through you, doing these amazing things. How do you think you'd feel? I mean, wouldn't that just be kind of off the charts exciting? And then you come back to give your report to Jesus, and the first thing he says confirms how exciting your ministry is. He says, I saw... I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Probably metaphors for demons, but hey, maybe real serpents and scorpions. And over, look at it, all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Wow. Really? They had power to overcome all the power of the enemy? Man, that, that, is, that is amazing. That is powerful ministry. And then Jesus says something really unexpected. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Wait, what? Don't rejoice in this successful ministry, this powerful ministry? that we're doing for you, Jesus? It's kind of a buzzkill, isn't it? Why not? Why not get excited? Why not rejoice? Well, read the rest of what Jesus says here. It says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, there is something else that we should find much greater joy in than having powerful ministry for God. It's having a genuine relationship with God. The thing to get most excited about is God and knowing Him. 
Now, that doesn't mean that experiencing joy in ministry is a bad thing. It isn't. It's, it's good. We ought to find joy in ministry. But like any good thing, it can become a bad thing if it's a substitute for the main thing. I'll say that again. Good things can become bad things when they become substitutes for the main thing. Because, see, what happens is we can get focused on the good things we're doing. And then we get preoccupied with results. And then maybe even we start comparing the ministry we're doing to what other people are doing. And at that point, it's a problem because now we are seeking our joy in that ministry instead of seeking it in God. We must not love ministry more than we love God. Now, this principle goes way back, long before Jesus taught it to his disciples here in Luke 10. If you go back to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, or what's sometimes called the Law of Moses, one of the foundational lessons for the people of Israel is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 says this, You shall love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Notice the wording. You shall love God, the person, Yahweh, the one true God. Love Him with all that you are. It does not say Love doing things for God. Love ministry. Love serving God. Love God. Okay, now let's look at Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is a lesson we need to remind ourselves of we need to think about, we need to hear about, because we are a people who hear a lot about God. We talk about God. We sing about God. We hear messages from the Bible, the Word of God. And most of us, I'm confident, want to do good things for God. And we as a church, we have all kinds of people involved in all kinds of ministries doing all kinds of good things for God because we believe God wants us to do those things. And He does. So we know about God and we do ministry for God. And you know what? Neither one of those things is the same thing as knowing God and loving God. Because it is possible... It is possible to know about God and not know Him. Actually, that's true with any person, if you think about it. 
you can know a lot about a person and still not know the person, right? Because you could go on Wikipedia and you could type in the name of some famous person and you'd get all kinds of facts about that person. And so you could find out, you know, when and where they were born and where they went to school and if they're married, who their spouse is, how many kids they have, what their career is and all about that. And you could end up knowing more about that person than any of your friends know about that person. And they could hear you talking about that person and say, wow, that's impressive. Do you actually know that person? And you'd have to say, well, no, I don't actually know them. I just know about them. What do we mean when we say we actually know somebody? It's a relationship. If you don't have a relationship with them, then you don't really know them. It's possible to be in that exact same situation with God. To know all about Him, but not actually know Him. And Jesus made this very clear when He said about some very knowledgeable people, Matthew 15, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right! When he prophesied about you, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What's he saying? (laughs) They know the right things to say. They know the right words. Their doctrine is accurate. They've got all their facts straight. They know all about me. But they don't know me. Down in my office, I've got a couple of seminary diplomas. One says Master of Divinity. The other says Master of Theology. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? You can come and look at them sometime if you want to. <laughs> now, I, you know, I'm, I, I feel some pride in those things because they represent a lot of work. Six years of studying the Bible, and what it teaches about God. And it was an amazing privilege for which I'm very grateful because many people can't have that privilege. And as a result of my study, I learned a lot about God more than many people will ever have the opportunity of learning. But here's the thing. As good as all that knowledge about God is, it counts for nothing if I don't know Him. It doesn't matter. Knowing about God and knowing God are not the same thing. It's also possible to do ministry in Jesus' name and not know God. Now this this one I find very scary. To me, one of the scariest passages in all of the Bibles in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is speaking, he's talking about that coming day of judgment when each one of us will give an account to him. And he says about that day of judgment, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everybody who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, that's the scary word to me, 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Powerful ministry. Impressive ministry. No relationship. Don't ever judge the health of your relationship with God by the things that you do for God. Never think, well, I've got to be right with God. Look at all these Look at all these things I'm doing in Jesus' name. Look at all these things I can do for him. So that's the problem, basically, that God is addressing here in Jeremiah 9 when he says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his might or the uh, rich man boast of his riches. Well, that's what the people were doing. They were more excited about their abilities and what they could accomplish than they were about knowing God. And we can fall into that same trap. I mean, think about it. Wisdom, strength, riches, or to put in other words, brains, bodies, and bucks. Aren't those the things that people tend to get excited about? Aren't those the things we tend to get preoccupied with? We think, oh, if I were only smarter. Oh, if I were only stronger. If I were only better looking. If I only had more money. Oh, then I'd be happy. And so we tend to put our energies in those things. More education, more exercise, more beauty treatments, more work. And it's not that those things are bad unless we're more excited, more preoccupied with those things than we are with actually knowing God. Let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. So let's think about this for a little bit. Why should we be most excited about knowing God? Let me give you a couple reasons. Reason number one, because knowing God is the main reason you exist. It's the main reason you exist. God created you to know Him. That's why you're here. Now, not only do we see that in Jeremiah 9, this is all through the Bible. You go back to the very beginning, and God creates humanity, male and female, in His image. There are a lot of thoughts about what that means, but one of the main things it means is that we, He is relational, and so He created us to be relational. You know, the, the very first problem in the world was when God said it's not good. For man to be alone. So he created us for relationships with one another, but God, eternally relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
created us ultimately to have a relationship with himself. Then, when God brings the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he has them build a tabernacle, a portable temple. Why? So that his presence could dwell right in the midst of the people and they could know him. Later, through the prophet Jeremiah, God promises a new covenant. So you have the covenant that God made with the Israelites on Mount Sinai, and he foretells a new covenant, the one that ultimately is inaugurated by Jesus through his death and resurrection. And here's the promise. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Habakkuk 2.14. God promises that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. I consider everything a loss. All of his credentials, all of his birthright, I consider it all a loss because of or compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And Jesus prayed this in John 17. He's praying to the Father and he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. If you ever wonder what your purpose is, if you ever wonder why you were born, this is it. You're not here just to take up space. You're not here just to do good things. The goal is to know God. To know God and enjoy Him forever. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? So that's one reason that knowing God should be the thing we're most excited about. Here's the other reason. Because anything less than knowing God will not really satisfy you. It won't satisfy you deeply, and it will not satisfy you forever. Anything else, anything else you try to find ultimate satisfaction in will not, will not do it. And just think about it for a minute. Let's say I had a magic wand. I've wanted one for some time, but God hasn't seen fit to answer that prayer. But let's say I could just tap you on the head, and you would become the smartest, strongest, best-looking, richest person on the planet. Would you then be happy? Would you finally be content and experience lasting satisfaction? The answer is no. You wouldn't. Not if you don't know God. Because brains, bodies, and bucks were not made to be satisfied with those things. You can't fill a God-sized hole with a human-sized peg. It just doesn't work. We're only going to find ultimate satisfaction in God, in knowing Him and loving Him. Okay, well, how do we do that? 
How do we do that? How do we actually, instead of just knowing about God or trying to do things for God, how do we really know God? And the answer is we respond to his initiative. We respond to his initiative. God has made himself knowable. We need to respond. The fact is, you and I can only know someone, we can only really know someone to the degree that they allow themselves to be known. You think about it. You know, if you're really going to know somebody, um, that means you've got to kind of get inside their head and inside their heart. Well, the door to the head and the door to the heart can only be opened from the inside. And so just by the way, if you think, man, I wish somebody really knew me, well, realize what that's going to take. You're going to have to let yourself be known. And the same thing is true with God. Our only hope of knowing Him is if He lets Himself be known by us. And amazingly, that is exactly what He has done. God has taken the initiative to reveal His mind and His heart to us so that we can know Him. He's given us the invitation. We just need to respond to that invitation. Okay? He has spoken. He has spoken. Yeah, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. It's been a while since we've been there. But if you go way back to chapter 1, God spoke to our forefathers many times, many ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son. Uh, 2 Peter says, He has given us precious and magnificent promises. Uh, He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. See, that's the big divide. That's the big divide. What is this book? Just humankind's best guesses, insights? Or is it what Jesus said it is? The actual revelation, the word of God himself, God making himself known. He has spoken. He's come to us in his son, the person of his son, Jesus. He has come to us. And he's bridged the gap between us between our sin and His holiness through Jesus' death and resurrection. God has done everything necessary for us to know Him. Okay, so how do we respond? Well, the first step is by receiving Jesus. Okay, so John 1.12. But to all who received Him, who believed in His name, so receiving Him is this putting our trust in his person, that's his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Look at that. That's relationship. Family. By receiving Jesus. So if you don't know God, this is, this is the first step. It is realizing you're going the wrong way. And come to Jesus and put your trust in Him and receive Him. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to give you eternal life. And He will. Ask Him to help you really know God. That's what He wants to do. He wants you to know God. Jesus said, I am the way. This is John 14, 6. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the positive way to say it is through him, we come to the Father. Then, receive God's word as his message to you. His message to you. God has spoken. Why? So we might know him. So respond. Read it. Study it. Listen to it. Treasure it. Ask God to speak into your heart His truth. You know, a lot of people have said, and I say it too, I just wish God would speak to me. And then there's a Bible sitting there and they never open it. (laughs) Why would we expect God to speak a new word to us if we haven't bothered to listen to the word he's already spoken? As I said, you know, 2 Peter, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Book of Jude says, he has delivered once for all the faith. He's given us, he's made himself known. We ought not to expect a new word if we are not bothering to listen to the word he's already said. So God speaks to us through his word. Receive it as that. Love it as that. You know, ask because it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to love and believe what he has said. So that's how God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him in prayer. That's relationship. It's, it's kind of funny. I don't know if that's the right word. Over the years, you know, <clears throat> people want to grow. They want to get to know God better. I mean, I do. We, you know, we, we want to be more like what God wants us to be, become the people He wants us to be. And it seems like it always boils down to read your Bible and pray. Read your Bible and pray. And it sounds like a cliche. But it's the truth. Not just read your Bible you know, like you read, I don't know, something you don't really care about, ask God to speak and pray to Him like He's listening because He is in Christ. These things aren't complicated, but they take effort. They take developing habits. And we are prone to get too excited and too busy about other things. And when we get too busy, too excited about other things, we're, we're missing it. The thing to get most excited about is knowing God. That's the most important thing to pray for, by the way. For yourself, for one another, for us as a church, that we would know God. Top priority, know God. Yes, we want to do powerful ministry. We want to. God wants us to. And yes, we want to be effective in doing what he's called us to do. But where do true power and effective ministry come from? They come from knowing God. That's the thing we need most, to know God. So we're going to pray. And I just want you to, you know, just do a little quick self-evaluation. And if you would say to yourself, man, I, I don't think I really know him. Well, he wants you to know him. 
And he's made the way. He's done everything necessary for you to know him. He's come in the person of his son. He's gone to the cross to bear your sin and my sin that it might be completely taken out of the way. But, but, but just as, as you think about that, think about this. The goal of Jesus was not merely that our sins would be forgiven. Yeah, that's huge. But why? Why do our sins need to be forgiven? They need to be taken out of the way so that we can have a relationship with God. That's the goal. It's knowing God, loving God. It's not just being forgiven. So if, if you've yet to begin the journey with, with God, with knowing Him, by putting your trust in Christ, you can do that today. Just thank Him for what He's done for you. And say, Lord, as best I know how, I want to receive you. I want to trust you. Help me to know, really know you. And if you've maybe got complacent or you got tired, we go through seasons where Bible study, Bible reading, prayer feels kind of dry and mechanical. Don't give up. Don't give up. Pray that God would help his word come alive to you. He wants you to know him. He wants me to know him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have done so much that we might know you. Through creation, we can see that you are real, that you are powerful. And then you've spoken again and again through the prophets and ultimately in your son Jesus and his apostles. You have told us what we need that we might know you, who you are, that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Lord, give us a hunger to truly know you. We pray you would have mercy on us, draw us close. If there's anybody listening today who has yet to take that first step to know you, of putting their trust and what you've done for them in Jesus. May today be the day for them. Thank you, Father, for hearing us. Help us to know you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.